Welcome to episode 99 of Telepractice Today with Kim Dutro-Allen and Dr. Todd Houston. Welcome back to another episode. This is about the 99th time I will be saying that, which is very exciting. Mm -hmm. Um, And we are going to have some celebrations coming up for the 100th episode. So stay tuned and listen for that and join us for some live episode with that too. And we'll have details on that. And uh, we have a great episode to get to today. I did want to mention a little tip before we do that. Um, Just kind of talking about how I organize things like tabs and windows when I'm working with students. So I usually like to have kind of a window that's open that has like my stuff I know students aren't going to see and keep that separate. So if I accidentally share, you know, um, the whole Chrome window that it doesn't have things like emails or personal information up on the same Chrome window and tabs. So, and then I usually like to have my second window that it's the things that I know I'm going to share with students that day. Um, And I have good enough internet that I can kind of pull up everything that I'm going to use that day and have it not slow me down. That's something you might need to consider though, if you're having problems with internet um, speed to not have too many windows open. Uh, and But another thing to consider is if you have lots of tabs open before the, your multiple students during the day, sometimes that could get visually distracting. <laughs> Especially I work with some students on the autism spectrum and they are very good at noticing small details that other students would not notice. And so they're like, Miss Allen, you have eight tabs open or 18 tabs open. <laughs> Can you close some of them so I can focus? So that's something to think about. And I just recently, I don't know if it's been there for a while, and I just recently noticed it, but there is a, if on the top corner of a Chrome browser, there is a tab, a little down arrow that you can click, and it has all of your tabs that are open and ones that you've recently closed listed. So when I've lost one in my mess, I think my record is probably 36 tabs open at the same time. (laughs) (laughs) So when I've lost one in my mess, I can go there and immediately find the one that I need or go through and close a bunch of the ones that I'm not using and try to stay more organized with that. But I, I tend to just be the, let's open all the tabs at the same time so I don't have to worry about what one's closed. <laughs> That's great. Well, I'm, I'm about to blow your mind. Are you ready for this? Yes. <clears throat> and this just came up this week. Someone shared something with me because she is guilty of like 80 tabs open at once. Uh-huh. I probably and, hit that. And, uh, and it, it just drives me crazy. She found a Google Chrome, was it an extension? What's it, what's mm-hmm. it called? Mm-hmm. Called OneTab. My, now my Google's going, my Google pod is thinking I'm talking to it. <laughs> um, hey, Google. <laughs> so, um, so on OneTab, it takes all of your tabs you have open and puts it in one place. And then you can just click, Then and then you can label it and save it. Ooh, I like that plan. So you could have multiple tab, which you could have like one 
of those tabs and it's all of your sites for articulation or mm-hmm. all of your sites for language and all of your site. So you can have these tabs that you would click on, but then all of the uh, other tabs would be underneath. So in one place. I like so that. One tab is what it's called. Nice. I'm going to have to think of that and find that one. It's a good one. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm excited about today's guest. She is coming back. She's joining us again, Barbara Fernandez. And she, of course, many people know her from Smarty Ears and the Speech and Language Academy, the telepractice platform. But she just wrote a book. Uh called Sis, You Got This, From Surviving to Thriving as a Minority Speech-Language Pathologist. And I think this book has something for everyone in it. Right. And uh, I was certainly moved by it in terms of uh, what I was able to read. And I know you had a great response to it um, Mm -hmm. as well. And so it's great to have Barbara back on to get more information from her and let her talk about the experience and some of the stories that she highlights in the book. So let's go to Barbara. Hi, are you creative? Do you want to give a webinar or teach a course? Maybe you're a writer. Do you want to create a blog? Maybe you have an idea for a podcast. Whatever your passion is, we at 3C Digital Media Network want you to be a content creator so we can bring your ideas to life. So, to get started, visit our website at 3cdigitalmedianetwork.com and sign up to be a content creator. We look forward to seeing your passions come to life on our platform. Barbara, welcome back to the podcast. Thank you for joining us again. And we have so much to talk about. Thank you for having me. I think we had too much fun last time. You guys just, you know, (laughs) having Barbara was just the greatest time. Let's have her back. For sure. It it really was. It was. So we're thrilled that you're back. and, And we can see that you've been busy. Uh, with some uh, some stuff, some things that you've been producing. So without further ado, tell us about this new book that you have out. Yeah, so I wrote a book and was, uh, I had the intention of releasing it on International Women's Day, but it ended up being released uh, at the end of January. And it's called mm-hmm. Sis, You Got This, From Surviving to Thriving as a Minority Speech Language Pathologist. It, it has um, a little bit of my journey as an immigrant becoming an SLP, as well as the stories of 18 other minoritized speech language pathologists as their stories intersect with mine. So, yeah. So, So why did you decide? This is the outlet I want to I want to help others. I want to write a book because lots lots of people want to write a book, but they never sort of jump in and do it. So what was that process like? Um, I was the opposite. I never thought of writing a book. I didn't think I had the skill set. It is just not amongst 
um, the areas that I consider that I have to offer or that I had to offer because now I guess that narrative has changed mm -hmm. because I actually made it happen. Um, and the idea was sparked a less ASHA convention mm -hmm. after two really um, emotional experiences with colleagues one extremely positive experience and one extremely negative both happened at the same day. And I went back to my room and I started writing. And at that moment, mm -hmm. I wasn't sure if it was going to be a book. It could have been a blog post, which I do have a few out there. Mm -hmm. um, and as I realized that I had a lot more to write, I guess I made the decision of making it into a book and it became um, probably one of the most organized projects <laughs> that I had ever taken on. And I think mm -hmm. it's because I knew it was going to be something really hard. And if I wanted to get it done, I needed to set up a schedule of sorts. And that's kind of what I did. I set up a schedule for writing this book and getting it done um, in a way that was compatible with who I am. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you did it in what, two months? Um, so I, the whole process of writing, it took 28 days. Wow. Um, wow. <laughs> the interesting thing is once I start writing, I got to uh, my office and I looked at my bookshelf. I picked up a book, one of my favorite books called it's uh, The Alchemist. Mm -hmm. And I was like, okay, this thickness, I think I can write a book somewhat this thickness. Let me look it up how many words is in it. So I put it on Google, 37,000 words. Okay, I'm going to write a book that is about 37,000 words. And I thought, okay, if I write 3,000 words a day, it would take me a little over two weeks to write this book. I think I can dedicate two weeks out of my schedule to do this. And so eventually around, uh, and I was really religious about sitting and writing 3000 words a day. If there was a day that I didn't make it and I would write more, but what I noticed is that I start writing more words a day than the 3000 mark. Um, but when I got to my goal of words, I realized that I was not done. <laughs> and I had a lot more that I wanted to say and the process that also initially was just about me, it, I realized that I wanted different perspectives. And I emailed my colleagues um, that, you know, either for their stories or recommendations of somebody that could, that, that could be interested in joining me in this. And, you know, that delays things a little bit, but every time I would reach out to somebody, they go, oh, yeah, I'd love to do this. When do you need it by? And I'm like, tomorrow? Uh, in three days, <laughs> you might, you might hear some of my collaborators talking about that. They, yes, I'm going to do this. When do you need it by? And they were in shock of my deadline was just ridiculous. Right. But 18 people showed up and they wrote, mm -hmm. they either wrote or they joined me in an interview. We kind of sat down in the zoom or Google meets to just share, um, so after that 30 days was up that I wrote and I organized everything, then the editing part took place. And I had, I learned what editing was about, hiring different types of editors, 
which I didn't even know is, was a thing. There's like a content editor and there is a copy editor. Mm-hmm. Um, and then after that, we went to uh, formatting the book, which is yet another person. So the book from, you know, I start writing November 21st. By January 29th, the book was out for sale. That's incredible. So two months yeah. in a few in a few days. Yeah. And and it's available as an audiobook too, which is how I consumed it and read it. And <laughs> and with your voice, I love that it's your voice on it. I it, the funny story with me having my voice in it, also unplanned. There was I have grown to really dislike my voice, and there was part of my journey in the field. Uh, I can't stand listening to even the video demos I do for my products. I never, I record it. I never listen to it again. And I was here, my husband, you should record an audiobook. I'm like, there's no way I'm going to do this. I will hire somebody if I have to, to record the thing. So then one of my friends comes home and she says the same thing. You need to record an audiobook. Mm-hmm. I'm like, not me. Somebody else will do it. And she's like, I would never listen to an audiobook that it was not recorded by the author. I'm like, oh, what? If it's so, I, 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 if it's a biography, I would agree with her. I love it so much more when it's re- it's read by the author and when it's a biography. So that meant that I had now to learn all about recording an audiobook, <laughs> which meant that I attempted to record in my office, thinking it was a great room, but clearly these four walls aren't helpful. Uh, after chatting with audio engineers and learning all about GarageBand, I have my whole setup in my closet. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of where I recorded from my closet. I just thinking about timelining, going to a studio. It's with kids, it's just not feasible. I said, I can do this in my closet. These clothes apparently absorb sound. Mm-hmm. Todd, you know a lot about all this, which mm-hmm. I didn't. Um, and I guess it worked out great. It, yeah. it did. It did. It was it was a great thing to listen to. Um, and I know that you wrote it specifically for, for uh, minority or minoritized SLPs and women. Um, <clears throat> Todd and I do <clears throat> not fit. Todd and I do not fit into either one of them. Well, I fit into the woman category. Todd doesn't fit into either one of those hey, categories. I'm, I'm a minority in Asha. They're right. <laughs> <laughs> He's a minority in our field. (laughs) So, but, um, and I know I still got a lot out of it as Mm -hmm. a SLP that didn't fit into those groups. What, what's in there for everybody? Do you feel like? I almost want to ask you that question. I will answer that question for you if you can't think of it. (laughs) No, I, so something really fascinating happened with this book that I was not expecting. I had a lot of women who were not part of my intended audience buy and read the book. One of the most powerful experiences that I had was at the Texas convention, a professor from my university who does not fit my intended audience came to my booth and she had my book with her. And she said, you know, reading a book really changed my perspective in a lot of subjects. And I asked everybody that is a faculty in my college to read this book so that we know 
that it is possible that since we are all white faculty, that there are students who went through, went through our program and feel the same way Barbara does. And I want to make sure that when they come to us, that we have thought out an appropriate response so that we aren't making things worse. Mm-hmm. And so I think, and, and I've, I've spoken about this with other people who are not part of my intended audience, they have been finding benefiting being able to see things and and hear about things in a context that is um, not uh, confrontational. Right. You just learn of the experiences that I had and my colleagues have so that you can at least start thinking about ways because a lot of times having these conversations can be so difficult and, and people feel so vulnerable asking questions, being afraid to ask wrong questions. Um, that I think consuming at least a basic uh, amount of information, the subject, I think it has, start, it has started, uh, get uh, got people thinking about the subject. And, that, right. and I'm really happy to see this happen. Right, mm-hmm. right. And I, I think that was a big part of why I'm so glad that you wrote this book is for faculty, people in academia to start to consider those other perspectives and other experiences that students have. And I, I, it was very much like not a us against them kind of book, which I was, you know, panicked about or had some concerns about it feeling that way to me. Um, And, but it wasn't, it was, I think you did a great job of acknowledging um, biases that can be part of a minoritized group and within a more minoritized group too. So it was a, this is something that everybody deals with and, and that we all need to look at ourselves. I loved your um, challenge questions that you had at the end of chapters chapters to kind of like spark some ideas and things like that. Um, I also think that there was so much that I identified with and that I think every SLP can identify with coming out of, you know, a graduate school program that is very very rigorous. All of them are very rigorous. All of them, we are trying to get a lot of information in a small amount of time. Um and, you know, uh, when you talked about having experiences with anxiety, depression for the first time during graduate school, that was the first time I sought treatment for anxiety and depression was during graduate mm-hmm. school. So there's a lot that I identified with, too. And um, dealing with past trauma, too, my kids will tell you and my whole family will tell you they're not allowed to say the phrase not necessarily in my house. <laughs> Because it has a story behind it. I had a, I was on an interdisciplinary team and one member of that team, anytime I said anything in that meeting, that was her response to me, was not necessarily. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and, you know, even in like the first time that I was on a podcast other than our own <laughs> and was sharing our field with someone who didn't know about it, I was on a um it was it's a local mom show and i had seen this lady on instagram she started asking questions about uh her kid's speech and i you know popped in and said like oh here's some answers for how early intervention works in utah and she had me on her podcast to talk about it and the first time i listened to it i cried 
I cried because mm-hmm. I was like, I actually sound like I know what I'm talking about. <laughs> and, and there was so much in that book that I identified with in those instances of like figuring out ourselves and what we're good at, what we're not good at, and just owning that and not being ashamed of it and just being like, this is me. This is who I am. And I th- loved that part of that book. I'm glad you, you, you found value in that. Um, I am a huge believer, and I love that you talked about us versus them. I'm a huge believer in finding common ground with people, mm-hmm. right? And on the specific chapter of that, when I noticed the discrepancy in awards and for men and women, and it was something that I had never seen anywhere. Uh, and I started looking at data, I posted online some of these conversations and as I was in the process of writing the book, having more conversations and being aware, this is a point where we still see, you know, it seems a lot of cliche because we hear it everywhere. You know, the gender pay gap and opportunities for women. These are things that still exist. And I loved how uh, Vicki D. Williams wrote in the foreword that what we experience sometimes in our field is like a microcosmos, microcosmos of the general population, right? A lot of these things are, we are experiencing every day and uh, finding common ground with people that are experiencing these things, whether you are part of a minoritized group or not, we all share experiences and building on that as opposed to you guys are constantly doing this wrong and you've been doing this wrong. And people just, what I, I, I'm afraid of with pointing fingers is that we end up, everybody ends up being afraid of making their own contributions towards change because they're afraid of doing it wrong. I think that's very true. I think that's a very good point. I I think, I think anyone today sort of talking about these kinds of issues has become so sensitive and politicized you know, talking, you know, critical race theory and any discussion, you know, mm-hmm. is, has become so um, such a us again, like you were saying, uh, the us against them sort of mindset and, and people, you know, instantly get defensive and they and 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 so it's it, it's nice to have your book out there kind of ignoring that and just saying, this is the way it is. And this is my experience. And this is what happened. And I'm, I'm sharing with you so that we all do better. Yeah. Yeah. And I just had an experience yesterday um, as I was, I've been advocating to get a communication, a playground communication board in my, in my city. So yesterday I went to the town hall meeting. It was a packed room. I'd never been there before. It was really intimidating. I didn't know how things worked because it was really out of my comfort zone. But they, I saw in the minutes and this mom told me that they were planning on acknowledging autism because of autism awareness or acceptance month. And so I went there uh, and they read this uh, pledge the city was making towards autism. And you, as I'm sitting there, I was like, oh my goodness, we have so much work to do. <laughs> this pledge could be so much better, so much work. I mean, mm. I, I sat there wishing 
one of us or even me had already been collaborating to make sure that pledge was very different than what it was. Mm -hmm. Um, And when I, sometimes when we get out of our spaces of our own little Mm -hmm. online world and we actually go out to the community, you see how much work there is to be done right? from basic level. And sometimes we stay focused, uh, discussing tiny details amongst ourselves mm-hmm. when there's so much work. And I feel like my book is has kind of the same. I always, I feel the same way in which there's so much work to be done in that area mm-hmm. that a lot of the people who are having these conversations, having these discussions, sometimes engage in conversations that aren't actually productive when there's so much work to be done and everybody has their way of contributing towards making things better. That's right. And and I think what I like about your book is you focused on speech language pathology because that's who you are, but your story is like so many other people out there, not only in this discipline, but in others as well. Um, they have a very similar story and they could, you know, very much value what you're saying and, and understand and relate to what you're saying. Yeah. And one, one, um, one of the most impactful things that I'm seeing with the book is um, people feel really isolated people Mm -hmm. who come from a minoritized background, bilingual, bicultural therapists in general, because the percentage is so small and you're sometimes alone in your city, in your uh, program, reading these stories, all of a sudden it makes you realize that you're not that alone. Some people mm-hmm. have gone through this path before. This is how they did. They also dealt with some of the things I'm dealing with, but they still are succeeding and thriving. Right. And I can, I can get there too. Yeah. I think that's what was so powerful about you, including other stories in there too. So it wasn't just, and probably for you too, realizing it's not just me. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So Barbara, I'm going to put you on the spot. What, what do we need to do? I just, I just made the comment that this applies to people in other disciplines, but I'm going to bring it back to speech language pathology. Um, What do we need to do better? Um, How do we get more people with diverse backgrounds in this profession? This is such a complicated question, (laughs) but one of the coolest things that I had seen, uh, you know, it's, it's tricky because when you need diversity, you have to find kids in high school and make them interested about our field. Mm -hmm. Um, And then uh, when I was at the national black association convention, just last month, mm-hmm. one initiative that they did was they brought a high school student to the convention to show them what speech pathology was. Mm-hmm. You know, we we're talking about a young teenager. So her mom came with her. This was an initiative that in Basla had. I think we need more initiatives to try to get students at the high school level and reach and talk about mm-hmm. communication disorders. But I think it comes naturally with public awareness of all the things that we do as professionals. But Mm -hmm. then it gets to another level. And I think this is one of the biggest barriers is you have undergraduate students 
that maybe finish their undergraduate majoring in communication sciences and disorders. Mm-hmm. But when it's time to get into a graduate program, they don't get accepted right. or there isn't enough support for them to continue and they drop out. Um, so we need to have more support, especially in the graduate program, because I know several mm-hmm. bilingual SLPs who couldn't finish their program because of lack of support. I myself thought about leaving many times and I was fortunate mm-hmm. enough to have people who said, Barbara, let me help you. You belong here. And sometimes it's, mm-hmm. you just need one person, right? We need mm-hmm. to all be more proactive. And I think in general, the population of SLPs, faculty, we need to always, instead of waiting for people to come to us and say, do you need help? Uh, mm-hmm. We need to actually go and ask these students as young clinicians, how can I help you to make sure that you get to graduate school? How do I make mm-hmm. sure that you finish graduate school? And I think as faculty, just giving the same level of support, we're talking about uh, uh, equality and making sure that we're talking about equity. Some of these students need more support. Going to be proactive with these students saying, how can I help you? What do you need help with? That would be kind of my somewhat short answer. <laughs> well, I think that's a great answer. And and being on a faculty and dealing with uh we're, we've you know right now going through admissions process and you know we we definitely being at, at Akron, which we can are considered an, an urban university, um we do as much as we possibly can, I think, to try to find different ways to reach uh diverse backgrounds, diverse students. And high schools are one of those things we're we're definitely trying to do and, and going out to different, you know, sort of job fairs and career fairs and talking to, to these uh, these students. And when we can, we're taking alumni from with diverse backgrounds with us so that they can they can help as well. So all it is this, it's a challenge. All of this, I imagine it just for the sheer number is going to take time, right? right? This is, we just need to be patient and everybody, as long as we're making progress and effort is being made. But even when you think from a, from a basic mathematical standpoint, if you have 200,000, I don't know all the numbers, but it's somewhere in the 200,000 speech language pathologists. Mm-hmm. And when you look at the population, even if you're over-recruiting mm-hmm. to get to that number where the scale will actually tip, it will take time, right? right. Um, and But we, we need to continue to, to keep the effort and know that sometimes we have to overdo to be able to slowly see the math uh, Change. represent yeah, the population a little better. Yeah, I like the, the st- uh, statistic that you had in the book about the widest uh, professions. <laughs> and, um, was it we're, we're behind uh, veterinarians and, and minors or something like that? Yes, it was completely with other professions that are mm-hmm. not, you know, not uh, yes. <laughs> um, and, you know, I can't really explain how there's a lot of a complex little nuances. And I think, sure. Um, having met yesterday, I, I did a, I participated in a faculty led panel at NYU and I met a Brazilian student Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Um, their program is huge. They had 180 students mm-hmm. participating in this event. And I'm hearing several students with accents. And mm-hmm. it was really nice and encouraging to see. And also, I think it was so important for them to see me there, to hear me there. Uh, mm-hmm. The Brazilian student in particular, she was saying how she came here and she didn't think she could be a speech pathologist. And I think because of our field relies so much on speech, you can sometimes she, we could feel that we're better suited to be a PT mm-hmm. or any other field that that focuses so much on our speech. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And that yeah. was something that you brought up in the book, like not the feeling like your accent was a disorder and being told that your accent was a disorder by other people and that that needs to shift in in our mm-hmm. literature in our feelings in our our view of um accents yeah that was an impactful moment for me and that was kind of my lowest point um probably when i said okay this is not worth it Right. When I'm singled out in a class, mm-hmm. why am I here exactly? I should just be elsewhere. Yeah. Um, yeah. Especially if it's a chair of a department, you really, that has carries a lot of weight when you hear that in front of all your peers. That's, oh. I think that's definitely something that uh, specifically our field could do better at. And, and we, it's, it's just funny. Sometimes I feel like we're a field of communicators and sometimes we are really bad at communicating. (laughs) (laughs) Very true. Very, very true. Well, you know, I went to school in in South Carolina and grew up there and, and, and my professor did single out one of our classmates, but she was just a local girl from South Carolina who had such a thick Southern accent. No one could understand her. Mm-hmm. So um, a little bit different situation, but, uh, <clears throat> but I agree. What, so what do you want to do is another book uh, in, in the planning process? Or are you going to have another <laughs> book in two months? <laughs> no. What do you, I, how do you follow I, up with this? There is no follow up. I'm passing the torch to the next person who has, you know, they have, I'm sure there are plenty of stories there that need to be told by other SLPs who think differently from me or who just have an extension of their own stories to tell. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think my contribution is, is done. This was <laughs> a really difficult, emotionally difficult project to take on, which is right. very different than any other project I've ever worked on. I was, I'm typically not crying as I'm working on my apps or any of my technology resources. I'm usually pretty happy. Right. So, so the, the most important question that I can ask you is when you sell the movie rights, who's going to play you in the movie? Who's going to be, who's going to be Barbara in the movie? Who who do you want? This has to be the hardest question you ever asked me. (laughs) (laughs) And here's why. I am the worst with famous personalities. I know, I don't know. I mean, I think my name of famous actors is like Tom Hanks, Brad Pitt. Okay. <laughs> Those are the people we know. Leonardo DiCaprio. I think. I, they're all yeah. male. 
Two Angelina Jolie. Okay. Now made, I mean, this is as much of the names that I know of people in media. So I think I'm going to have to ask my director to uh, give me some selections. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> do you have okay. here, dear director? Do you have some selections? Well, yes, you have to. You have to ask. Maybe the young woman who just won the Supporting Actress Academy Award for for uh, West Side Story. She's she's oh, a young yes. Latina. Okay. Okay. Could there do you like go. a S- Selena Gomez. That Selena Gomez. Too. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I'm liking well. this conversation. Yeah. Uh, I don't think we'll require singing on my. Uh, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. So we'll we'll we can put a list together for you. And, there you and go. <laughs> With photos because with photos. Names, yes, I need the photos to go you along the with photos. the names. I, yeah. I'm the same way. I'm the same way. You have to like name a movie that they were in for me or something like that. Like I, I can't remember their names either. <laughs> <laughs> so as a plug before we move on, I think the things that uh, stood out to me most as being applicable to the field of telepractice and me as a mm-hmm. telepractitioner, I think was the idea of connecting to other people, finding people who you can connect to, finding your support system, because that's something that's hard when you're isolated and working by yourself. So that was something that really stuck out um, stuck out to me. And then the other one was pivoting you mm-hmm. you talked about pivoting often <laughs> in your career and what you thought you were going to do. And I think being able, it, that applies to our field in general, but especially during the last couple of years, don't, I think just that idea of being open to an opportunity that comes and not thinking, I will never do that. Like write a book. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. And I ended up also talking about my journey in starting my business and running my Mm -hmm. business and applying for. So there's a lot of information in Mm -hmm. there about just entrepreneurship. In fact, this book would have been much easier if the title was entrepreneurship for SLPs. Right. (laughs) Right. And it would be, uh, it would reach a wider audience than Mm -hmm. my topic, but I still have information there about my journey, running a business as an SLP Mm -hmm. starting in, without any business background that I think a lot of SLPs could find value in. Mm-hmm. Sure. So speaking of telepractice, uh, we wanted to ask you not, we won't forget the book, but I wanted to ask you about the speech and language Academy and how things are going there. And the last time you were on, you, you were talking about the new platform. So how are things going? Things are growing amazing. Um, I am very excited about some new things that we launched. Uh, a lot of new activities have been added and we are very close to launching a home program that is built in our speech language Academy. I have two kids that receive services. I have been on the other side where as a parent, I was given homework and things to practice with my kids. And every time I would get a Xerox articulation, black and white that has been Xerox or make copies a hundred times that you can really tell that's been that that copy has been run through the copy machine a hundred times. I'm like, okay, we need to think of a technology that it's a little more interesting for the parent that that page isn't going to be just disappear somewhere in my car. Even before I get home, that parents are actually going to use. 
So now in Speech Language Academy, the clinician is able to select the activities, set up a home account for the families. They select the activities, the goals that the child is working on. The parent with that login can access and they only see the activities that the SLP assigned to them. And the SLP gets to see that the child actually did the practice Mm -hmm. or the families did the practice with the student because Mm -hmm. the data that is being tracked in the front um, as the child plays the activity will all go back into the back end to the clinician so that they actually have a record that it was done. It's much more interesting for the families to be doing anyways. So that's kind of a new thing at Speech Language Academy that I'm very excited about. Yeah, that, that is exciting because that's that's extending the treatment and getting the family more involved, obviously, and, and the child having access when the session's not going on, obviously. So, uh, so in those situations, the parents would log into the to the session and onto the platform and have access to all that. So that is that's remarkable. That's great. Yeah, if you think, for example, if you have a child that is working on social skills and we have a game there called Social Quest, the SLP can say, okay, John Doe is going to work on Social Quest and he has to do with being able to select uh, 15 minutes uh, twice a week. Mm-hmm. And they log on and they'll get an email notification, you have a new game or you have a new activity and they can log on and use specifically the activity that was uh, assigned by the clinician on the frequency that they assigned for them to, to do it. <clears throat> so I here's, yeah, here's, here's an idea. I'm ready. So we were, this is actually from one of our other um, contributors, other guests that we had, but uh, within the app uh, using artificial intelligence to score the activity, score the assignment, uh, whatever the task was. And then as the child is getting better and better, getting higher scores, it sets the, keeps setting the bar a little bit higher until the next session where the SLP can review the material. So a lot of, of not all of them, but mm-hmm. a lot of the activities there already have that built in. See? And whether it's the so therapist-led or whether it's the child-led. So if they're doing, for example, uh, something for following directions, mm-hmm. as they master the second level, they reach 80% accuracy, it goes automatically to the higher level. It doesn't work for everything, like for articulation, sure. it doesn't apply. But for whatever activity it applies, he mm-hmm. already has that built in. That's perfect. That's awesome. We, we were talking to uh, to someone else who is uh, um, focused more on physical therapy, and she was using a, a similar situation and app um, to to assign certain tasks for the patient to do in physical therapy, and it would track how well they were doing, and then increase the the goal, so to speak, uh, or the task, or make it harder. Uh, so the person was, you know, in a sense, gaining more mobility and and, uh, and improving in their mobility during the week, instead of coming back in for more and more sessions. So that's was, that was sort of the idea. That that's really interesting. Was there because I keep thinking, um, I keep thinking from generalizing this. You know, for example, for articulation, other areas. Um, how did they track this? Was was there like a device? 
for physical therapy or was it a specific exercise? How was that being tracked by the patient? I think it was through an app of some sort. Uh, She didn't get into a lot of detail, Um, but I can give you information on on the person and you can reach out to them. I'm sure she'll be happy to chat with you. Yeah, that's it's it's always awesome just to see new things that other people are doing. Mm-hmm. But you know, I think as an extension of what you guys are doing with with uh, speech and language academy and and some of that technology. I mean, I think as we go forward, we talk about telepractice and we talk about technology and AI. You know, all of this is going to be coming together more and more and more as we go forward. You know, so it's exciting. Uh, for you guys to be a part of all that and, and sort of shaping some of the stuff that we'll, we as clinicians will be accessing and using. One of the uh, things that is so exciting and um, is seeing bigger companies with a lot of money take on mm-hmm. some bigger tasks that we can use, like speech recognition, for example. Right. The larger companies like Amazon and Google, they develop this technology and eventually for us being able to use these, you know, even recently I was uh, playing with text-to-speech technology and how mm-hmm. amazing the voices sound these days that it reduces the need for having uh, it being recorded by somebody. It really expedites creating resources because the quality is so good. Right. Uh, and so being able to, t- to uh, tap into these different technologies that larger companies in mainstream mm-hmm. fields have created it's is really nice to be able to bring those things into our field. Uh, I remember 30 years ago my major professor uh working on my master's and PhD he he talked about eventually that we will have these you know a person who with hearing loss would have glasses and maybe at the little at the bottom of the glasses you know would have speech recognition built in and they can you know look at the person and, and, and you see the little captioning go on, you know, so we, we don't really have the glasses, you know, we've had some attempts and things like that with Google and others, but, but we certainly do have apps now that can do that, that can have that kind of speech recognition. And he was thinking about this 30 years ago, how can we make this happen? You know, and it was certainly beyond what we could do, but at the time, but, uh, but it's exciting to see all that happening now. And, and to see how these technologies are being used and, and you with your creativity, you know, I'm excited to see what you do with it all going forward. Uh, yeah, I am too. And this is what I have fun doing. The book part was much harder. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, you did an excellent job on the book. And, and I think, um, I, I, I hope it isn't a one and done. I hope you come back to this and keep writing because because it is something you should be doing. All right. Well, maybe we'll do a joint book. Sure. <laughs> yeah. Tech, technology in speech language pathology. There I like go. it. I there like you it. Go. Yeah. 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 I'm all for less emotionally driven books. <laughs> <laughs> what was so good about you in the book was that your posts on Instagram about how you were doing, you know, like I made my goal today and you were doing something or, you know, all these things all along. So, you know, we all felt like we were a part of this process because you, you were updating us about how things were going. And that was, that was really fun. That was really fun. Yeah. I, I think it was also my way of trying to reach beyond my network. Mm-hmm. 
sometimes we build our own biases because of who we surround ourselves with. And um, I'm really fortunate to have been able to build a really solid network of people around me. And I was hoping to bring in different perspectives, different people with different intentions. And Mm -hmm. and it worked. I've been able to make new connections, meet new people, and bring new voices into the book through sharing. And as in the hard thing was, as I would invite somebody and they would ask, so what's your plan here? Are you going to mm-hmm. self-publish? Are you going to go? I'm like, I don't know yet. So if you have to, mm-hmm. you're going to come with me, you're going to give me, but I'm still <laughs> not sure what I'm going to do with it. <laughs> so I'm glad that they trusted me with their stories, uh, their words and their mm-hmm. voices. Because I, I, even as I was going through the process, I was still not sure what the final thing would be or right. how it was going to be published because I was just learning on the go. Right. Well, thank you for coming back on the podcast. I think we'll, we'll cut you some slack and not put you through our moment of Zen and ask you some personal questions. Well, we'll tell everyone if they want to know more about you personally to go read the book. Read the book. <laughs> That's right. It's all Barbara, in the book. I feel like we're good friends now. <laughs> there we go. I am now an open book. That's yeah. uh, literally. <laughs> <laughs> well, Barbara, thank you again for coming on to the podcast and, and, and bringing us this wonderful book to talk about and, and updates on the Speech and Language Academy. And you want to just share how people can reach out to you and, and how can they find the book? Yeah. So the book is available on Amazon and it's available everywhere, but these days people like it's available on Amazon. You can get a hard copy, a paperback copy or an audiobook. Um, and if you want to hear me cry, I would recommend the audiobook. If you want to bypass all of that extra drama, because the book is full of drama already, you can uh, read and insert your own thoughts as you're reading the book. It's it's always a pleasure being here because it's always fun. Uh, I, I My life is always talking to people online because I, I work from home. And so mm-hmm. moments like this are great. Thank you yeah. for having me. Thank you. Thank you. It's always great when Barbara joins us on the podcast. Please go check out her book, Sis, You Got This. It's available on Amazon and probably every other place you want to look, but especially Amazon. And uh, it is just wonderful. So check it out. Also, coming up this week on Wednesday... Wednesday evening, the 13th of April, please tune in for our live 100th episode recording. And so we're going to have a live event with some really, really special guests. We will be streaming live to our Facebook group page of Telepractice Today, as well as to Instagram. So... Tune in and find us, Telepractice Today, and join us for that live event. So it's a celebration of our 100th episode. And of course, we couldn't have done this without you, our faithful listeners and supporters. So thank you for doing all that you're doing. And with that, tune in, 
Wednesday and again next week for another episode of Telepractice Today. Until then, be safe and be kind. This has been a production of the 3C Digital Media Network.